Hi, everybody. I'm Germ. I'm an addict and alcoholic, and I just checked my time, my sober time, and it looks like I have one year, ten months, and seven days today. Um, so I'm going to try to stick to the format of how it was, what happened, what it's like. Uh, I'll tell you about my first drunk. I was 15. I was on a school trip to Italy, and I had bought a souvenir bottle of limoncello from the Vatican <laughs> to bring home to my mother. And I drank all of that limoncello um, and was violently drunk, crying, um, inconsolable. Like, <laughs> like my like friends, like four other fifteen-year-old girls were like. Um, just so baffled by like what I was doing. That was the first time I drank, and that's pretty much every other time as well. Uh, in the book, when they say they are more or less um, insanely drunk, uh, that's kind of my whole story. I remember my first drunk. I don't remember my first drink. It was always around the house. The kids at parties were always sneaking a few. Um, like, sometimes it was cute, like, it's like, oh, you want to try my beer? And, like, that would be, like, a party trick that my parents would do. Um, so I grew up with it, and I grew up with an alcoholic father and a very um, codependent mother. Um, so I'll skip ahead to my last drunk, and uh, it was, I had a couple months in the program. I'd actually started coming around the rooms Around 2016, I was a live-in caregiver at the time. Um, I'd been living with people with um, emotional disturbances and um, developmental disabilities. That was my job. I got paid like room and board and a small salary. And I was living in New York City um, in neighborhoods that I could never afford otherwise. And I was, um, you know, <laughs> in one aspect of my life, I was this, like, you know, virtuous caregiver. That's what everybody saw. But in this other aspect of my life, I was getting more or less insanely drunk uh, every weekend. Every weekend blackout. Every weekend waking up in a stranger's bed. Um, yeah, every weekend <laughs> or... Uh, for a couple months there, um, emergency room visits, psych ward visits, um, but I kept it all very contained. My family had no idea. A lot of my friends had no idea, and I just felt like the loneliest person in the world. Like, um, you know, I couldn't connect, and I couldn't um, really be. <laughs> I, I couldn't just be. Like, I was always fighting. And so I came around the rooms in 2016. I um, came in and went out. Relapse is a part of my story. Um, I, you know, I came to f figure out finally after, you know, a month here, a week there, going in, going out, that I was telling myself that I had more tricks for alcohol. Like, I've got some fight in me for alcohol that alcohol hasn't seen yet. But the truth is, 
alcohol always had more tricks for me, like cunning, baffling, powerful. I would go into a bar and be like, I'll just have one drink and then blackout or emergency room. <laughs> um, hangovers that would last for, you know, three days, not eating, not leaving the house. Um, but my last drunk was in May 2020 after uh, like maybe a month and a half of lockdown in New York City. All the bars closed. I um, had maybe about a month sober when I went out for the last time. And I went to my boyfriend's house. I got um, so drunk that I, my blood pressure dipped dangerously low. And in the middle of a lockdown and a global pandemic, they had to take me to the emergency room. It was belligerent the whole way. Like dangerous even like my boyfriend's like I had to like watch your hands like you were like lit pissed and like these are essential workers that you know are seeing death you know every day and like here I am like just kind of this little demon you know um so that was incomprehensible like demoralization and that was my last drunk and I took to Zoom really quickly. Zoom meetings became my my lifeline, especially the midnight group in New York City. They would have like a 10 p.m. meeting, a, a midnight meeting. They were kind of always around, always on. So I started tuning into Zoom like it was my radio, you know? Um, and... I didn't get into the steps right away, but really quickly, I um, I liked all the people's stories, and I knew I wanted what they had. Like, they could go in a room and just be. Um, you know, I'd remembered from being in the rooms in person, like, people who could talk about things that they were ashamed of or things that they regret, and... Um, not be held prisoner by it. Like, I felt like I, I had all this guilt, all this weight, and I, I couldn't free myself of it. I was just waiting for the curse to be lifted. Um, and it wasn't until later, when I got a sponsor and started working the steps, that <laughs> I felt it was being lifted. But the first thing that drew me in was being able to listen to people. Um, I heard amazing stories in this program. Um, I got really into speaker tapes and like the history. I wanted to listen to uh, somebody in Ireland from 30 years ago who had been sober for 10 years. Like I wanted every kind of global recovery I could get and Zoom made that possible actually. Like, um, you know, I could go anywhere I wanted and so I found on Zoom a daily reprieve that I wasn't able to get in in-person meetings and I feel like I'm kind of of this like Zoom generation of alcoholics. Um, I could tell you right now I wish I <laughs> didn't wait. I wish after the first time I got drunk <laughs> off Lemoncello in the Vatican and cried the whole time and broke things and, and yelled at people. Um, I wish I could have stopped, but I'm an alcoholic, and um, 
I'm accepting that I come from an alcoholic family. Um, I'm the alcoholic that's, thank you, I'm the alcoholic that's presenting symptoms. Um, and for that reason, I feel I'm a little ostracized because it's like a family disease and like I'm manifesting the symptoms and people don't like that. Like, or pe people in my family don't like that. But I got a sponsor and I did the steps with her really on blind faith. Like, I'm just going to do what she tells me to do. I'm going to work through it. And I was so desperate and really, really numb. Like, I, I had, like, a sense of comfort from these meetings and people like you and listening to the stories, but I could not generate, um, I could not generate kind of self-love or I couldn't generate strong feelings about myself because I had been, you know, the first time I got drunk, I feel like that's when I stopped playing for my own team. Like, that's when I took myself out of the running. Um, I don't know why. I'm still uncovering a lot of things about myself in this program. I'm doing the steps again. I'm at step four again. So, um, it's just something that I know that if I do it, and if I do it honestly and fearlessly and thoroughly, um, I'll be proud of myself. And this, that's right there is a complete, um, inversion of the person I used to be. I, the person I used to be was discounting themselves, um, belittling themselves, humiliating themselves. And even with all I've done because of this program, I can have a sense of that I deserve a shot. You know, everyone gets a shot. And there's always something to recover if you go back and look for it. So that's why I've got all my time. Thank you. I'm Miles Alcoholic. Um, thanks, Dave. Uh, and yeah, you called the right time, man. And I'm, I'm grateful to be here and welcome to newcomers. Uh, happy birthday. Let's celebrate a birthday. Thanks, Sharon, for opening up and your share. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, you know, I suffer from a, a physical and mental obsession, a physical allergy and a mental obsession that, allow, that convinces me um, that I can always drink successfully and do other things successfully if I just do it this way or under these conditions or under these circumstances. And uh, it'll be different this time. I, I suffer from that voice in my head. It'll be different this time. You know what I'm saying? And this is how I'll be different. And I also suffer from the voice, like, who cares? I don't even care anymore, you know? And that was my last run, you know? And I was, um, uh, my aspire day is August 10th of 2010. I grew up in, uh, Livermore, California, um, to two parents who, uh, were, uh, practicing alcoholics. Yay. It runs in the family. Um, but I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know, man. Like my brother ain't, <laughs> You know, but three out of four of us are, you know, so um, I, I'm not God. I'm not here to say I was born with it or not anything. I just grateful, like more than anything. Like, I don't even know if I was born with it, I was born with it. I, whatever, you know, more than, I'm grateful more than anything else is that I know I am one and I accept it. I accept I'm an alcoholic today. And I say that because for 
Dave and I have friends in here, Ben, and uh, they've known me. We've, we've all known each other for 20 plus years. That's what's crazy. Me, uh, Ben, and uh, Dave know each other. Those guys have onto the recovery. I was one of those ones that was 13 years in and out. Um, I was a chronic relapser. Um, but people like that, those two guys right there, like, and people like them in this program that stayed sober and were the reasons why I kept coming back. And by the grace of God, I did get back. It wasn't anything by my doing that I kept coming back. It was the traction that you guys were, the fact that I knew A worked, but there was just this grace that I was given because so many, but you know, and I'm not minimizing myself or anything about by this, by saying this, but I've lost a, a lot of people have lost their lives as a direct result of this disease and doing far less than I did because it's a disease that doesn't really discriminate, you know, and I'm not saying that because I'm bad. I don't say that from an ego plan point. I'm just a horrible alcoholic. You know, I'm a, I'm a kind of drinker that takes a drink and a drink takes me. It takes me to really bad places. And it takes everyone that comes along, everyone that's going to come along for that ride to really bad places too. You know, and um, like, just like Jerem, I took my first drink at 15, you know, I held off till I was 15. That's how I look at it nowadays because a lot of people drink before then nowadays when you stick around here, you know, and uh, I held off to 15 because I didn't want to drink. It was the last thing I ever wanted to do growing up because of my experience with alcoholism. You know, I had a mom who got sober when I was a freshman in high school. So I knew what alcoholism looked like. I knew what vodka bottles being hidden in certain spots. I had a father who left my mother during that time who was an alcoholic. And I knew what alcoholism looked like from his standpoint. It was fun in one moment. and It was really terrifying and scary the next moment. And um, I grew up in an alcoholic family. I, I, you know, it's like, it was like Bill Wilson, you know, in the big book. You know what I'm saying? Like, New, here at New Hampshire Grenada, he's all ominous warning <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i had the ominous warning and like that's what i love about like you know that and that's the, that's that's alcoholism like my hook on alcoholism for 13 years and can still be this sober because it, it, it's a defect right is like i'm different it'll be different i'm different i'm the exception you know, and that works with defects of character, too. We'll get to that later. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can pray and meditate, but I don't need to do that kind of thing. You know what I'm <laughs> But, like, you know, like salad bar sobriety, I like to call it. Because I, I die doing salad bar sobriety. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wish I could be. I have a friend named Valerie in Santa Cruz, and she says, I, I'm the real alcoholic. I have to take the whole prescription. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm fucking crazy. You know what I'm saying? And, like like sober stark raving sober we talk about you know what i'm saying like like i think all my ideas are great but everyone else doesn't think they're so great because the way they feel <laughs> as a direct result of me trying to run the show you know the step three in the big book and if i'm all over places how it is but you know i took my first drink when i was 15 and i remembered it and i had a great time and it wasn't like it was off to the races i was an athlete in high school I wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say what's the word. That's probably right. I don't know the word because I didn't really take school too serious. <laughs> I wasn't a scholar in school, you know, I played sports and I just did enough just to get by. And I had a lot of cool tools like, you know, entitlement, uh, selfishness, self-centeredness, uh, full of fear. And, you know, I took my first drink to be a part of, and I think a lot of that had to do with fear. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't, I didn't want to take a drink, but 
I took a drink because I wanted to be a part of my friends. I wanted them to like, like me, accept me as who I was. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of fear tied in with that decision too, you know, even though it was a bet against what I, my best judgment and my best interest at that time, you know, and I took a drink and high school progressed on. And I can say this, um, my whole junior year, almost I was stay sober off self-will. Right. But right when I picked up my senior year, um, something changed about my drinking. Um, there was an event that happened where I didn't know how to deal with my emotions and my feelings. Cause we didn't get taught to talk about that kind of stuff when I grew up and, uh, it made me really depressed and it made me really sad. And I realized what it was today. And, uh, what happened is, uh, I, like you talk about where I crossed that imaginary line where, you know, there was no coming back from when I started drinking, but I also started drinking for effect. I started getting loaded for effect. But what I didn't know at the same time was happening at that point, I would cross that line that you don't come back from. And somewhere in my, that point, um, from my half, half my, uh, yeah, two thirds left of my senior year, uh, you know, it, it got me. Like it was almost, it was daily, almost, almost daily, you know. And um, what I mean by that is that I had no mental defense against it. But just like a good person, like just like some people have experienced and I've heard in these rooms, like, I didn't have a lot of consequences at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, they were showing up a little at a time, little things here, little things there, but the consequences weren't that great at that point. But as soon as I graduated high school, that disease just, the trajectory took off and the life went, the life, the trajectory of my disease took off like a rocket and the trajectory of my life went down. You know what I'm saying? The quality of my life, you know, dreams, aspirations became, uh, uh, they got washed away. They got washed away in the bottle, drank away in the bottle, smoked away in the pipe, smoked away in the blunt, in the joint. You know, uh, every time I wanted to do something different, uh, I had this thing in me at physical hours, that phenomenal craving, and it dominated my life. You know, it dictated what I did, even though I thought I was in control. You know, and uh, the quality of my life, the quality of my relationships change. You know, it talks about like, you know, Bill Wilson talks about like the remnants of his friends started disappearing. And that was my experience, too. You know, I started trading the the friends I had years and years of relationships with for people who, you know, we joke around like my buddies joke around that we joke around like water seeks its own level. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm that alcoholic. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to find lesser company. So I don't have to look at myself, you know, and I'm going to find people I like to do what I like to do and drink and use and do certain things the way I like to do it. And that's who became my company. That became my world, you know, and what that means is it means, you know, a drunk log short for me. And I want to get into more of the solution. A drunk log short is like I crossed that line when I was 18 years old. By the time I was 33, and let's just put it this way. I've been in the rooms between 18 and between 19 and 33 years old, longer than I was getting loaded. Let me just put it this way longer than I was getting loaded. So you can say between 18 to 33, I probably had about six and a half years of getting loaded between those relapses that I was coming in and out of the rooms of. Um, and there was about three rehabs, three DUIs. Um, 
this is six and a half year stint. So this is like just progression of my disease. That's why I share this, uh, you know, uh, a jail stint for a year in the county in, the, in my 20s. Ending with a jail stint of four years at 33 years old in prison. Um, probation, programs, Stanislaus County, San Joaquin County, San Alameda County, uh, Cocoa County jails, um, you know, Prop 36 graduate twice. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the quality of my life. I got my shit together. <laughs> you know, I'm really doing this. I'm really trying. You know what I'm saying? But the track record is not seen. And what I know about alcoholism today is it's the uh, it's the one disease that tells me I don't have you don't have it, Miles. And this is how it's going to be different. When um, this last time around, when I read the beginning of chapter uh, three in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I talked about you know, the illusion of this persistence is astonishing. Many pursuit into the gates of insanity or death. I had finally took my first step this time when I was 33 years old. Like, because the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. The illusion of alcoholism, the illusion of control, the illusion that my life's going to be different. The results are going to be different, you know? And that's the stuff that happened to me physically. That's the stuff that happens as a direct result of my phenomenal craving. Like, I don't think I'm a worse alcoholic or a better alcoholic or anything like that. Like that's just where the phenomenon of craving took me, you know, from Yale to jail, from the penthouse, from the outhouse, alcoholism doesn't discriminate and it didn't discriminate towards me, but there was one key thing that happened in that. And here it is, Patrick, this is for you, man. Uh, and Dave knows this too. Um, Dave BGD is one of the first people I met in Alcoholics Anonymous at 20 years old, you know, and my mom and dad brought me to Tri-Valley Fellowship. And they put me at that door and I walked in that coffee bar and, um, you know, thank God my parents got sober, you know, and thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous and thank God that they were attraction rather than a promotion. My parents never put a on me. They let me hit bottoms and asked me if I wanted to go, you know, they let me hit bottoms. They didn't codepend on me, but they didn't code me. They do your thing, but you got to leave. But they were there always. And the two first people I met walking in some crankster gangster from the tribe valley thinks he's this and thinks he's that um really just a scared young man just not knowing what to do here's a bunch of people happy there's a joy there's a there's something going on here and i'm full of shame guilt and remorse because once again alcoholism kicked my butt and somehow probably i probably walked in uh not feeling too good about my life situation not probably feeling good about stealing from my parents and robbing and you know and lying and losing friends and all these beautiful characteristics that or from alcoholism, you know, and I walk in and Tim Foley becomes my first sponsor and BGD becomes the person who takes me to all the meetings that are young in the area at the time. And they're the attraction rather than the promotion. And I like to report that Dave is obviously in this room, still sober to my knowledge. And Tim Foley, that man that sponsored me for the first time is still sober today. And that was over 20 years ago. And, uh, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. And that's what I try to strive to be today for the, next, for the newcomer that walks in the door. I don't know what my impact's going to be, but I want to be that, you know, I want to leave that person better off than I found them. And have I done that perfectly in Alcoholics Anonymous by no stretch of imagination? No. But, you know, when I get to see Dave and I get to talk to those people, like I got to tell Dave that story recently, like, you know, like of that, hey, man, like I want to thank you, man, because if it wasn't for you dragging me around to all these young people meetings, wild bunch, Monday night, young people's in Oakland, wild bunch when it was up by the Cal Berkeley campus over behind there in the, in the basement of the church and, uh, you know, walking down the stairs and 
all these cool people and Friday night young people in Danville, friggin' Sunday night young peoples in Pleasanton, California, Tri Valley Fellowship. We did that, you know, and if it wasn't for that experience, an alcoholic of my type doesn't come back. When I hit a bottom, doesn't come back. And the only thing I did right between that time I first got exposed to a meeting and 33 years old was stay alive by the grace of God. You know, like I didn't, I, I heard this and I just, and I, I resonated with it. I didn't earn my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. Dude, my parents, my family, my son, my friends, the people who love me through all this stuff and had to hurt the most through this earned my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. They gave me my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. The people who love me that were in AA, they get in that were there for me when I came back. Those are the people that opened that pulled that chair out and said, We love you. Come on, sit back down, man. We can do this together. You know, and that's what I strive to want to be today. You know, at the end of the day, Ben's and Dave's and the people who love me and gave me places to live and places to and showed up and were there for me. They were the attraction rather than the promotion. And it's so such a big deal. And I hope I can be that for the next alcoholic who comes in. So long story short. 33-year-old hits. I'm looking. I'm, I'm in the AA for a good chunk of time, Four year, almost four years sober. What I do, I start doing, I start lying and getting dishonest when I'm sober about a year before I go out, around three years, right? I start doing this thing called gambling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was during that Texas Hold'em time when everything got crazy in Texas Hold'em. I started lying behind that stuff, started getting dishonest behind that stuff. And what it tells me is what three principles are indispensable, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And what happened is I put God on the shelf, and I started running the show and started thinking I could do this. And I started becoming a liar, and I started becoming dishonest, sober. I could only hang on for about a year. A year later, I went out with sponsees, with service commitments, we remember Jay's. We remember all these guys that I was part of and Chris's and Dan Dreher's and all these guys, Dave and Bendu and these people that I was sponsored at the time. And, you know, I thought, was, you know, and, you know, and I went out, you know, and I went out behind dishonesty. So what it told me is that these principles that you guys are trying to show me that I need to live by, like, these are what I need to practice. It's not about me telling you, you need to practice it. It's about me that I need to practice it. I need to save my ass, not my face in Alcoholics Anonymous. I need to be able to get gut level honest that like, yes, I'm not done a right all the time. Like, yes, I fucking feel this way at times in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes, I've been suicidally depressed from running the show in sobriety. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've gone through, I've been a, in relationships and have caused harm in relationships. Have I done these things? I've been dishonest sober. Have I answered the phone every time someone's called? No. Have I done this? Have I fallen short? I share that for once to share my human nature that when left to my own devices, I can still be make bad decisions, but I share that more than anything else is if you're having a tough time talking about something, cause you care about what someone thinks about you and alcoholics anonymous, dude, that's like, trying to save your face, like save your face. <laughs> like, like, and don't take this to offense and like loserville, <laughs> right? Like we're fucking alcoholics, man. If you look at, I'm not saying we are right now when we're in recovery and spiritual, but like, like me trying to save my face, like with us, like we've all been through it and done it. Someone's doing it right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? I love that about Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I didn't know is like, that's the freedom of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like, I need to do 10 steps. They don't have a 10 step for people just, just for 
they have 10 sets for people like me, man, because they knew we were going to mess up. I got to be perfectly imperfect in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what that means is I have good days and I have grateful days. And I have days where things are really good. And I celebrate those things too. And I have days where I really fuck shit up. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I got weeks where I really fuck shit up. I got months where I really mess things up. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's been my experience in sobriety. You know what I'm saying? I've had total disconnection. And the crazy part about, about, about alcoholism is you get sober. is like, I don't think I am. That's the crazy part. And my alcoholism is so alive in that. You know what I'm saying? When I think everything's all good, I probably should be the last person evaluating the situation. My sponsor probably should be. The people around me I should probably be listening to. And I should probably be asking some more questions. Not that Denal's feeling good about sobriety. Not to do that, but... You know, there's probably a good chance Miles's will is somehow involved in this. You know what I'm saying? And my ego's involved, and or some whatever slash or self pity. We can go both sides of the coin. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, I got. I was out for a year. When I went out, came back for a year. Was full of pride, full of ego. Guys that were guys that was sponsoring were taking me out to dinner now. You know what I'm saying? And my ego was killing me, and I wanted to do my last experience in a like my last experience before I got back this time was. You know, I'm going to get a sponsor. I know that's what you're supposed to do. I'm going to kind of work the steps, but I'd rather get the, I'm going to trade the A girlfriend in for the Prop 36 girlfriend. I'm going to start really, uh, you know, making some really big life decisions right now about my life and sobriety. And, uh, you know, what happens is I hang out for a year, half, half measuring it. Half major, I mean that like I'm not willing to do all the work. I still want a salad bar sobriety. You can make those. I'll make those amends, but I'm not going to make those amends. I'm going to call my sponsor when I feel like it, not every day. I'm not going to go to me every day because I'm going to go to me when I feel like it. You know, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'll do that service commitment when it's convenient for me, not because it's inconvenient for me. You know what I'm saying? I'll answer that phone when I feel like it, not because I should. You know what I'm saying? And these are the things you taught me. These are the things that are important. These are the things. What I find more and more about sobriety, the value of my sobriety today, is that if I do it that way, I'm drunk. If I do it the way you guys suggest, I get to stay sober no matter what the circumstances are. No matter what the circumstances are. No matter how good life is or how hard it is. No matter if it's COVID or not COVID. No matter if there's pain or if there's joy and everything in between. And that's what I love about sobriety. Like I get to be welcome to the human experience and not be special about it. You know what I'm saying? Like other people go through everything that I get to go through. And that's what makes the bond of alcoholics. Honest. You understand a mental obsession. You understand the physiology. You understand the 12 steps of alcoholics Anonymous that can spiritually guide me to a better way of living. So within that year, I was gone. And in a, on July 4th of 2009 i took a drink some i went out with my girlfriend from prop 36 and thought i qualified to have some beer and just beer wouldn't be bad i'll just drink some beer on the weekend when i don't have you know when i don't have my son at her parent her family's ranch and i'll play this weird game like beer pong like i'm playing beer pong like here's the reality dude i like to smoke meth and think that people people are looking at me you know what i'm saying but i'm gonna control and enjoy my drinking like just like playing this game called beer pong which is not me and it has never been me but i'm gonna try to pretend because that's how my alcoholism is it's gonna tell me just do it this way you want to know why because it's gonna tell you you can you can drink whiskey as long as you put it in milk you know what I'm saying? Do you get it? Do you get it? It's a, it's a thought. <laughs> it's not an action. It's going to tell me, you can just smoke pot right now. It's legal, you know? Like, why not? Like, it's, just, it's cool. It's, it's, not, it's harmless. You just drink on the weekends. It's fine. You know what? Here's another way alcoholism talks to you. If you just get hurt, you'll feel all right. 
you'll feel better. Just get that relationship. You know what? Get that job. Make that money. Yo, focus on your money. Focus on your career. Focus on that. Really focus on that. Because when you get all that money, you're going to be really happy, Miles. You know what I'm saying? This is the way alcoholism talks to me, you know? And uh, I'm sitting playing beer pong, and I'm telling you, within weeks, I'm back to what I do. You know, the, the, the I, I gave in to the thought. The thought gave in to the action. The action gave in to the drink. The phenomenon of craving came in, and it had me. And it, it's patient. It's cunning. It's baffling. It's powerful, like we talk about around here. And it had me. July 4th, I'm drinking some beers, having a great time. July 10th, I'm sitting incarcerated in San Diego jail, not knowing if I'm about to do the rest of my life in prison. And I don't say that because it's light. I say that because it's a fact. And I don't say that to scare you. Because I also say that because my truth during that whole year is if you would have told me on any one of those days in that 365 days of that year, if you would have told me that you're going to go to prison, you're going to go to jail, you're going to give up everything you ever owned, and you're going to give up your son, you're going to give up your relationship with your son, you're not going to be picking him up no more, you're going to be doing this, and this is where you're going, I would have told you because this is how alcoholism is. And I'm sure we've all ran into someone like this. Nah, that ain't going to happen to me. I'm different. Remember that different hook? Remember that different hook? No, nah, I'm good. I got this. Like, I got this. Maybe you had told me that, and that's the mental obsession that comes along for the ride with the phenomenon of craving. I'm terminally unique. I'm different. I was sat in a jail cell taking my last drink on August 10th of 2010 because I was still trying to check out, and I was drinking Pruno. God had his sense of humor. I was drinking Pruno. My last drink was Pruno. out of a fucking white tumbler in goddamn Santa Rita. Thank you, God. There's your F you. I love you still, God. But um, they're like, it, like, I couldn't go out with a bang. I'm drinking a goddamn tumbler of Pruno when God decides to have his moment of clarity with me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the moment of clarity was that popping noise like Dave talked about last night, and that was my head coming out of my ass. And I was looking at scratched-up steel mirrors. I'm having a buzz, and there was no more game left. There was no more blame left. You know what I'm saying? Like, how can you blame mom and dad for their alcoholism, their drinking, and why I'm so messed up? Or if the world just understood me better, or if she just treated me different, or if they just gave me this opportunity. How can you do that when you're sitting in a yellow jumpsuit at Max Santa Rita, Drinking Bruno, looking at yourself in a scratched up mirror, eye to eye, and realizing the only person that got you there was this the guy you're looking at. And I surrendered, man. I didn't know that was going to be it. Because I'll tell you one thing about my last relapse. I said, fuck A, I'm never going back to A. I can't do this. And I really did. I swore I'd never go back. I swear I'd rather die on the streets in a hail of gunfire than freaking go back to Alcoholics Anonymous because it didn't do it for me. That was my life for 13 years. But my life for 13 years in other rooms, Alcoholics Anonymous, was enough of you guys loving me to know that AA worked and enough of you guys showing me that AA worked, but also enough for me to realize that I had to quit doing salad bar sobriety. I got to stop picking and choosing how I do Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to stop saying no to what needs to be done. I got to start saying yes to what needs to be done. I got to start being willing, like it talks about being indispensable and the things that I need to do around here and the things that I need to do for others and the steps that I need to take. And when I took that, when I was sat down, I had that drink, I had two voices on my head. And it talks about this in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's this blue thing that has 164 pages, more than that, but there's this thing called recovery in the first 164. And, uh, it says in the big book, you'll come to the crossroads where you won't, you can't picture life with or without. You have two choices, two alternatives, trust God or go on to the bitter end, drinking out, drinking to get rid of your consciousness. You know, it talks about that. And I was there and I had one voice over here going, 
you can do three hots in a cot, hang out with the white boys and freaking do some push-ups, and maybe they'll give you 10 or 15 years if you get lucky and you only get a second strike on this case and not two and three. And uh, you can uh, do that. And if you go out, get released eventually, just shoot out with the cops and die by murder of the cops, and that's cool. I don't say that because I'm tough, but when you're an alcoholic in your cups, irrational thinking becomes very rational. Irrational behavior is rational behavior. So, and the other side was the bullshit. That was the other side was the God, the bullshit caller, the God caller. And it was like miles. And I, I'll never forget this. Cause this really is what happened. This was almost word. This is word for word. What it says is miles. Why don't you just do what they did in a 100% honestly, open-mindedly and willingly for once. And what that meant was not hundred percent, like be perfect. What it meant was be a hundred percent fall on your face and talk about it, but keep doing it. Don't give up on a, don't give up on working steps. Don't give up on making phone calls. If you, you're, it's hard and you're struggling, just do it. Take the steps as designed. Do what they suggest you do. Because in my heart of hearts, I always knew I was cutting angles and trimming corners and doing a little bit with my flavor and do a little bit my way. And what I found is that that's not abnormal in Alcoholics Anonymous. But what I found too, it's a, it's a great recipe for relapse. And I talk about relapse because part of my story and relapse doesn't happen because I think about necessarily taking a drink relapse sits down and starts happening when, damn, I shouldn't have lost that money at that gambling table. I got to feed my son tomorrow, dude. Like, Oh man, that was kind of rough. Like, um, I can't tell anyone about that. I can talk to my sponsor about the fact that I just wasted my whole check at a, at a gambling table. And, uh, you know, it kicks in behind that shame, you know, it kicks in behind that self-hatred. You know, it kicks in behind that guilt, you know, it kicks in behind that dishonesty, all the recipes for a relapse. If I don't talk to you about it and change the behavior, I have to talk to you about it, but I have a responsibility to take different action. I heard a speaker today talk about how learning, how, learning in alcoholics, almost learning is the process, but it's not like learning in school where you go to school, you learn for the week, you pass the test on Friday and you're good to go. And I treat sobriety like that. I treated sobriety like that. Tell me, I can memorize a big book. I can spit some stuff at you. I got game. I got a mouthpiece. You don't last or you don't last that long in the streets because you don't have a mouthpiece. I can sell ice to an Eskimo. You know what I'm saying? I can sell AA to anyone, but am I doing it? You know, and he talked about learning being something different. He talked about learning being learning something and the practical application of doing it over and over again until it becomes part of you. And that's how I need alcohol. That's how I need to learn about alcoholics. Anonymous. I need to do this till it becomes part of who I am. Till there's a profound change in who I am. It's not learning, doing, and forgetting. It's learning and doing and changing and transformation. And it, what I heard a speaker say one time is alcoholics anonymous is experiential. You know, you have to exp like, just like alcoholism is experience, an experience recovery is an experience. And it's to be done. It's experiential. It's not something that I can talk about and like do this over and over again and think that that's enough. What happens is I have to bring these principles into my life with my relationships, my affairs, my friends, my family, my son. I have to do this stuff. I'd be willing to help the next guy coming out. I put that drink down. I, I listened to the bullshit and I sat down. I put that drink. I finished that drink. I had my moment in the middle of a buzz. So if you're having, if you had that moment, it qualifies, you know, the next day was the beginning of my, my journey. 
I just didn't know I was going to spend the next three years, 11 months of my life incarcerated. And I spent, my, I just spent the next two years fighting my case in county with only the ability to go to two meetings because in Yellow and Santa Rita, they don't, like, they don't bring a lot of meetings in alcoholics. They don't bring a lot of NA or AA meetings. I got to go to two NA meetings in about two years because that's what was available to me in Santa Rita. So my experience is a little different, but the experience I had from you guys in a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the one thing I was missing the whole time in this, 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 I thought I had it, but what I didn't know is that I can work a really good one step and a really good 12 step, but there's 11 steps between one and 12. It's really good to surrender. It's really easy to surrender alcoholism. It's really good to pass the message on, but there's a whole bunch of principles in between those steps in between one and 12 that I need to learn how to do and learn how to apply to my life. And what happens, I found a relationship, a fundamental relationship with working relationship with God in that moment in San, in Santa Rita jail. Thank God. I, I call it creator on some days. I call it universe is transforming all the time. It's a beautiful thing. And I don't say that to offend you. And if it does offend you, like, this is my story. It's not your story. I'm not offended if you believe in Buddha. I'm not believing if you believe in Allah. Uh, Dave probably believes in Wonder Woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not offended by that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not offended by what you believe in because I believe in what the big book says. I believe in what the big book says. There's a sprinkling of Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and Jews. And we know Dave's a Jew. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like, you know, and we have women, we have men. And it says the the purpose of this book is for everyone to find a fundamental working relationship with a power greater themselves that is able to live happy, joyous, and free, that they can stay sober. So whatever God you believe in, Mother Earth, Universe, Spirit of the Nature, whatever it is, if it's this thing or that thing, I fucking am so happy you found what keeps you from living the hell that I know I used to live. And we got to stop being offended by what people believe in. We got to start clapping for what people believe in. We got to start being a little bit more open-minded. Because if it wasn't for a bank robber and a murderer, you would have a different speaker right now. Because I sat at a steel table and I heard faith without works is dead. And something opened up my mind just enough to know that what I was missing was freaking a fundamental working relationship with God. That was 13 years I was in and out of my room. Because I could learn your prayers. I could say your prayers. And I'm not, I don't, I believe monkey see monkey do is important for the newcomer. Thank you. I believe monkey see monkey do is good for me on some days, on some days too, for me too. And I think in the beginning, go to 90 meetings and 90 days, call your sponsor every day. And sometimes I have to do that still today, right? Like 11 and a half years later, I'm not disqualified from that. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying that like I have to do stuff, but at some point my relationship with my creator needs to become real. I can't just hit my knees and memorize prayers. I can't just say this stuff and talk about this stuff because my ego wants me to do that. I can't just sit and talk about how great prayer and meditation is and not do this stuff. I can't sit there and just memorize a third step prayer and not understand what my creator wants me to be. You know what I'm saying? And what I'm offering to my creator. I can't, and asking my creator what to take away from me. You know, uh, some great people told me, Miles, it's nice to say the prayer, but it's more important to be the prayer. You know, your words speak so loud. Your actions speak so loud, Miles. I got to be careful with this in sobriety. Your actions speak so loud, Miles, I don't hear what you say. And what that means is I can hurt a newcomer. That means I can hurt an old timer. That means I can hurt anyone in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because if my words are not matching up with what I'm doing, 
I'm the hypocrite in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the hypocrite of my type gets drunk. I don't have high pain tolerance anymore. I don't have high pain tolerance for this stuff. I have to be loving and kind. You know what I'm saying? If I can't be do God, I got to do love. Because these doors were open for me and the people kept have welcomed me back every time I came back. No one ever told Miles, you're not worth it. You shouldn't be here. I want to be that for the next newcomer. When I got out three years, 11 months later, you know, I got run into someone last night that I met like on Facebook while I was in prison. And that's a story for afterwards. If you want to know about that kind of stuff on my cell, on the cell phone, like I got to see her last night, bringing a newcomer into a meeting that I met that got sober because I was sober and we knew the same people and I was sober in prison in jail. And we started going to meetings together when I got out and we started hanging out. I got to see her literally last night. Like don't miss this shit. Don't miss these experiences. I got to see her last night, 12 stepping her best friend at the meeting last night because we met on a Facebook chat while I was locked up and incarcerated and I was sober enough because of you guys and H and I in prison and sponsoring people and doing this stuff that she's all you're sober. Like you're doing this while I was incarcerated. And this woman is eight years sober still today and is bringing a newcomer in. That's what this shit's about. I didn't know that. Like last night, I couldn't have drawn that or planned that. Like that, that hit me when I was at the meeting last night, secretary of my meeting. Like she, she called me up. She's all, I'm taking my friend to a new one. Do you realize how we met? Like, do you, you can't make stuff up like this. Stick around for the fucking ride. Be fire about alcoholics. House. This stuff is miracle shit. Like my life has been no, hasn't been like this trajectory to a thing, but I know one thing about my life and these 12 steps and alcoholics anonymous and the people like you guys, like my life's fucking amazing and I'm free no matter what's going on. When I apply this stuff to my life, when I do meditation in the morning, where I write, when I practice this stuff and when I put my hand out to that newcomer, my life is fire. Even if it's on fire, you get what I'm saying? Like even when it's on fire, I have peace and a serenity about me to know that everything is going to be all right. And that's all I ever wanted because before if things were not all right, I had a solution for that. And it was called meth and it was called alcohol. It was called weed and it fucking was destroying me, you know, and I cashed everything in worthwhile in my life for that, for those decisions. And today I get to have those things. I get to be a good dad on some days, a scared dad on some days, a fearful father, a good friend, a bad friend. Sometimes things like I get to struggle. I'd be a good partner, maybe not the best partner. I get, but I get to talk about that things with you because guess what? I get to live the human experience. And if I stick close to you guys and Alcoholics Anonymous, it just seems to get a little better and a little better. This thing, emotional sobriety is what it's about for me today. I hope I can find my peace my love for you and for myself and a can keep carrying me as I keep on this journey. I go to meetings. I have service commitments. I have sponsors. I'm, and that doesn't mean anything more about me. I get to have those things today. I get to do those things today because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's my responsibility, like Bob, to carry this message to other alcoholics, even when I don't feel like it. It is my responsibility to give you the hope, the joy, that if a dope fiend like me, alcoholic like me, can get clean and sober, if you want this journey, it's here and free for you too. And even if you're struggling and you can't do it, I'll be like the 12th, like I'll be like how, like working with others says.
maybe I can still be your friend, even in your struggle. And maybe you've made a friend, regardless if you're coming in and out of these rooms or not. Because my big book tells me to leave them better off than how I found them, even if they get sober or not. And I hope I can be that for anyone in here right now. And thank you for listening, guys. I love you all. This is, this is the life. Thank you.